0: I want to add my welcome to you all, and thank you for worshiping King Jesus at the Hill, at Hillside Baptist Church. Uh, With us, my name's uh, Chad, I'm uh, one of the pastors here along with uh, Pastor Ron, and um, if you are a guest this morning, I just want to say thank you for coming, and I'd like to invite you to fill out one of the uh, Connect cards that's in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, Please also make sure to stop by at the table in the back on your way out of the lobby, we have a a gift we'd like to give you, um, including a book that I wrote that I would love to put in your hands. So make sure you grab one of those on the way out. Um, today, we're going to be continuing through um, the book of Acts. Um, uh, oh, by the way, before we get going, I do want to just, again, make a another plug for uh, next Sunday. Um, uh, it's going to be just a, a very special day, I know, for our church. And so let me uh, invite you to uh, and, and and challenge you to invite uh, your friends, families, neighbors, whoever, anybody, and everybody. Your dog, if you want to, to our church uh, next Sunday. And um, uh, it's going to be a big day. We're going to have baptisms. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach a short message. Um, but just in view of everything that's going on, and, and, um, and the cele- things we'll be celebrating, things like that. Um, I'm just I, I just I feel like I'm just. We just need to preach the gospel. And so if you have a friend, if you have a neighbor that needs Jesus, um, invite them next Sunday, and we're going to give them as much Jesus as we can. Um, and I'm going to let them know how they can find eternal life and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. So uh, every Sunday is a great Sunday to invite someone, but next Sunday is going to be a special one, and let me invite you to do that. So we're looking again at the book of Acts, um, uh, and we're going to see something very interesting. We've been talking about Stephen uh, and uh, kind of the, the account of, of of the first Christian martyr. But before we jump into that, let me pray for us one more time. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we uh, we have sung of we have sung your praise this this morning, uh, Lord. Uh, you uh, th- we we celebrate that morning that fulfilled the promise uh, where your buried body began to breathe, and that changed everything, Lord. It changed history, it changed eternity. Lord, it, mean, it means that, uh, that even though the wages of sin is death, a uh, forgiven sin means eternal life. And that through you, we have resurrection, hope. What a glorious, wonderful miracle of grace that that is. And so we gather this morning um, just in fear of you, God, in awe of you, in wonder at who you are and what you have done for sinners, like me, for sinners like us. And Lord, now we just approach your word, God, with fear and trembling, Lord, with awe and wonder, that you might speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might not walk out these doors the same people that we walked in as. You would transform us by your grace, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, if you could follow along, that will be really helpful to you uh, during this message. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one at the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't have one at home, we invite you to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. But so far in the book of Acts, we have seen that how the book began with Jesus' great command promise that they would be his witnesses, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that they would receive power when that happened, and that they would then be his witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we see is that exactly happening. The Holy Spirit came. They received power. They proclaimed the gospel in boldness in the city of Jerusalem. Despite multiple arrests and a severe beating, the apostles have continued to fill Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And unsurprisingly, as they continue to do that, the tension with the religious authorities at that time, only continues to rise, and in fact, it climaxes uh, here uh, with the um, with the mistrial of a godly man named Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven whom they, the church, appointed to address that the the problem they were having about the the uh, Hellenistic widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so, Stephen is one of these men, and he's noted as being. Uh, wise and full of, the whole, uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And so his, he had this in faithful internal ministry, and he also had a bold external ministry where he proclaimed Christ uh, among the Greek-speaking Jews there. Um, and, in fact, he preached with such wisdom and with so great of a spirit that they were unable to refute his, his, his speaking. Okay? And, and so they decided that the only way that they could silence him was by making false accusations against him. Uh, that saying that he spoke against the law and against the temple and that Jesus would change the customs that were delivered to them. So despite all these charges, we saw at the end of last week how Stephen stands up in the face of his accusers uh, and uh, the scripture says that his face uh, was like the face of an angel. And certainly what that is intended to communicate is is that that is God's way of saying that God is about to speak to, this, to these Jewish authorities through the mouth of his servant, Stephen. And what Stephen says is somewhat unexpected. It is a history lesson. It is an Old Testament outline to the religious scholars of his day because despite their theological credentials, they missed it. They missed the most important part. And so Stephen was going to give them a lesson, an Old Testament lesson, part one. That's what we're going to talk about today from Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 7, verse 1. It says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land. And from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. And yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and inflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now, there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph uh, Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, uh, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph, the word of God. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to look at this passage, Old Testament lesson part one, under two headings this morning. Number one is that Abraham believed without a home. Abraham believed without a home, and then number two, Joseph obeyed without a family. Joseph obeyed without a family. First, Abraham believed without a home. Okay, so we're looking at Stephen's message here. This, this is Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish authorities. He's been arrested for preaching Christ, okay? Um, he's, th- these false accusations have been made against him. And so now Stephen, uh, he has his opportunity to speak, and this is the longest speech in the book of Acts. And if you're, uh, and if you don't think about it carefully, it's 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 not quite clear what Stephen's trying to do. He doesn't address the accusations being made. Usually, when someone accuses you of something, you you want to speak to those accusations. But he actually doesn't. Uh, he does something different. Actually, he he actually very interestingly um, he he makes a he makes a counter accusation. Now, as we talked about last time. Uh, the, the accusations against him were false. That, that he was denigrating the law in the temple. That Jesus said that uh, they would change the custom of the Jews and would destroy the temple. Now, of course, there was a sli- there, as we talked about last time, right? Uh, the, the accusations can only stick because there's a sliver of, of plausibility there. Um, that we do know that Christianity does, in fact, change the way that we as Christians relate to the Old Testament law. Jesus came in to fulfill. He didn't disparage the Old Testament or the the Old Covenant, but he fulfilled the Old Covenant. And because he fulfilled the Old Covenant, he was able to set it aside, it having fulfilled its purpose, in order that he could now bring in a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, not by being a Jew by blood, but by being a a, a child of Abraham through faith. As Pastor uh, Ron read er earlier, uh, even in the Old Testament, it says that Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. And in the same way, we are counted righteous before God, not because we keep the law, uh, the Old Testament law, because we don't, and Jews aren't saved by keeping the Old Testament law, but through Jesus Christ we are counted righteous by faith in the same way Abraham was, by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Neither did Jesus ever say that he would destroy the temple. However, Jesus did predict the destruction of the temple, uh, Very graphically, he said that there would not be one stone left upon the other. All right? And they wondered when that would happen. But if you read it carefully, it's quite clear that what Jesus is connecting the destruction of Jerusalem with was with is as the final kind of cataclysmic judgment from God upon the Jewish nation for rejecting the greatest, for the the latest and greatest of all prophets, God's own son, Jesus Christ. And as we'll see today, that's actually the theme of Stephen's speech, is that Israel just continues to do what they had done throughout their entire history, and that is reject the God of Revelation and reject God's uh, appointed leaders that he sent to them. Okay? And so uh, that's kind of where, where we're headed and what we're looking at today. And so as we look at Stephen's speech, we see that it is a recounting of the Old Testament history of Israel. He's not giving a defense, he's giving a counter-accusation, a counter-claim. Uh, his counter-claim is that they themselves, the Jewish religious leaders, have misinterpreted the law, have misunderstood the Scriptures, Okay, and, and, and missed the most important part, and that is that everything points to Jesus Christ. They stand in the line of their ancestors who have rebelled against God by rejecting the leaders that God has sent to them. Uh, and uh, they ha- and b- while doing that, they have made the land and the temple everything. In other words, they emphasize the, the physical aspects of the law, the temporal aspects of the law. Uh, they made the, the, the land and the temple and the letter of the law, everything. And they missed the heart of the law, which is love and righteousness and faith and obedience. Okay? Uh, and ultimately it all comes through Jesus Christ. And so Stephen's recounted history lesson is a way to point out to them their errors. And so the first thing that we see here is the account of Abraham. And if you look through this story, it's remarkable that Luke decides to record all of it And again, it's a very long speech, but it's an Old Testament history lesson, and it begins with Abraham. And so it's important to point out here just how important Abraham is to the biblical storyline. And this is why, once again, I as your pastor am just constantly emphasizing, challenging, begging you to read your Bibles, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament. Read your Bibles from beginning to end because clearly what Stephen is doing here is giving the Old Testament lesson and he's basically saying, you don't understand Jesus because you don't understand the Old Testament. And so there's no way that we can possibly grasp the fullness of Scripture. You, You cannot understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. It's impossible. And I can guarantee that your life your, your worship every Sunday your, your 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 times in Sunday school where you're studying the Bible with other people the times in small group where we're getting together and studying the Bible together they will be enhanced a thousand fold when you're familiar with the overall flow and storyline of scripture because it's just, it's just things are just going to start connecting and things are just going to start making sense in a way that can never happen if you haven't read the Bible at, at least through a couple of times but it's a long book so that means that you need to get started we got uh, Bible uh, reading plans in the back. Get started. Read a little bit every day, and as you do, the Scripture's just going to open up to you, okay? As we get to Abraham, he's he's probably one of the primary figures in all of Scripture, right? We know that because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, and God chose him out of all the people that were alive at that time, and he was, and the Bible says that Abraham was an idolater just like everybody else, that he That that he worshiped idols just like everyone else. And yet God chose him out of all the people and called him uh, to leave his family and his kindred to go to a land that he did not know. Okay, to worship the one true God in a place that he would show him. So at the tender age of 75, some of you 75-year-olds are ready to pack up everything and live in tents for the rest of your life. I know it's true. All right, that's what Abraham did. Alright, at the tender age of 75, he left family, he left kindred, and he left his home to go live in a land where he would literally live in tents for the rest of his life until he died. Alright, he did that as an act of faith, that he lived in the land promised to him, although he himself would never actually own any of it or possess it. Alright, and so it's worth reminding ourselves of how important Abraham is, alright? If you follow the story of Genesis, and it's important to think about how it's, it's an unfolding story, right? If you follow the story of Genesis, God created man. He created man in his image. He told him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it, which means that God created me and you to represent him because we're image bearers of God and to not just represent him, but to spread over the earth. In other words, to fill the earth with the image and glory of God and to rule over it for him and for his purposes. We were made to rule. We were made to reign. We were made to be kings and queens under the king of kings and lord of lords. Of course, it doesn't take long till we see in Genesis 3 that sin messed all that up because uh, we rebelled against the one who made us and who created us. And uh, throughout, the story, throughout those early chapters of Genesis, you see uh, several genealogies because God had made a promise that one day a man would be born who would do battle with the devil and win and undo this problem of sin that, have a- that has alienated us from God And ruined human society for up until this very day. All right? And so you see many genealogies in Genesis because it's tracing the bloodline of the promise. And so you have these genealogies that bring us all the way to a man named Abraham. But once you get to Abraham, it, it it, it it names a bunch of names, but it doesn't really give you a bunch of details until you get to Abraham. And then all of a sudden, when it gets to Abraham, the whole story of Genesis just stops and then literally the whole, entire Old Te- the, the whole entire rest of the Old Testament is about Abraham and his family. That tells you how important Abraham is, all right? That, and he, he made Abraham this tremendous promise, all right? In Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, this is what it says. It says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, okay? And so what is that? That's the promise. It's the promise that through Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed. And so what is, it? what is it saying? It's saying that God is telling Abraham, hey, you're the one. You're the one that through your family, I'm going to fix the whole problem of the world, which is why Jesus had to be born a Jew, and he was. So if we go through... Um, uh, if we, if we look at what's going on here, Stephen goes all the way back to Abraham and his recounting for multiple reasons. The first is he's recalling to the Jewish authorities that he's under scrutiny by. Uh, he, he's, he's reminding them that they have a shared heritage. They are both Jews. Okay, They are both uh, heirs of Abraham, beneficiaries of the promises of Abraham. So there is common ground between them. They are both children of Abraham. But of course, that begins to beg the question about who really is a child of Abraham. Because if you remember in the early days of Jesus' ministry, right, uh, John the Baptist came on the scene, and John the Baptist warned people saying, don't, don't put your hope in the fact that you're a descendant of Abraham. Because that's what lots of Jews did. They thought, well, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm descended from Abraham. God gave Abraham the promises. I'm good to go. I am part. Of, I got the covenant of circumcision. I'm part of God's people. I'm good to go. And then John the Baptist just looks at him and is like, well, you know what? God can make children of Abraham from these rocks right here. So that doesn't really make you that special. The question is, do you love and obey God? Because that's what Abraham did. So if you want to be a child of Abraham, it's not enough to just have Abraham's blood. You've got to have Abraham's faith, Abraham's love, Abraham's obedience, right? Who are really the children of Abraham? That, that, that begins to become more of a question. Uh, and finally, Stephen also mentions Abraham. Because uh, he wants to demonstrate that Abraham was faithful to God even without a home, all right? Uh, God made Abraham a promise, and that promise included the land. That's why we call it the promised land, right? Because God promised Abraham to, that he would put, have that land. But at the same time, God actually promised Abraham something that he made a promise to Abraham that Abraham would actually never live to, feel, to see the fulfillment of, all right? Uh, he promised that that land would be to him and his offspring forever, but Abraham died in a tent. He never actually owned the land he the, He lived He died as a sojourner in the land that was promised to him okay and so and i think I think that's actually part of that's actually part of stephen's point, right he He actually makes a point there uh, to say that um Abraham did not in verse five there that uh, he he gave no inheritance to Abraham not even a foot's length. In other words, Abraham didn't even own a square foot of land in uh, in in, the, in Canaan. All right, and but what's the point? The point is is that Abraham was great, even though he never owned the land, because what made Abraham great was not the land but the promise. It wasn't the land but Abraham's. Faith, And that's what they were missing, right? And in the Gospel of John, the religious leaders justified killing Jesus because they feared that the Romans would come and take away the land, right? In John eleven forty seven, it says, uh, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. Verse 48, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. So get this, right? In an, effort to, in an effort to keep God's land, they killed God's Messiah. Talk about misplaced priorities. Right? And what it tells us too is that is that <laughs> what it tells us too is there's a there's a difference between um, genuine faith and just religion because they so emphasized the land, the place, the building, that they actually missed the whole point of the land, the place, and the building. And so in trying to keep God's land, they killed God's Messiah. They focused on the, spiritual, the physical aspects of the promise and missed the more important spiritual realities. In fact, in Romans chapter 2, Paul would go on to describe who a true Jew was. In Romans 2.28, he said, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Well, who's a Jew? A Jew is a a descendant of Abraham. He's the heir of the promise. He's the one who has come under the saving promises of God. And then, with the coming of Christ, Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understands that Judaism pointed to something greater than itself. And that is that That the true Jew has nothing to do with your blood, your lineage, has nothing to do with your ethnicity, has nothing to do with where you live. It has to do with what you believe and who you trust in. Because because a true Jew doesn't necessarily share the blood of Abraham, they share the faith of Abraham. Circumcision isn't a matter of the body, it's a matter of the heart. and, And by the spirit, not by the letter. So the spirit of God comes into our hearts when we trust in Christ. And we are transformed from the inside out to love and obey God from the heart. And that's what makes us an heir of the promises of God, not what family we were born into. So the takeaway for us is this. We cannot confuse material prosperity with spiritual blessings. If God took away every church building in the world, God's kingdom wouldn't be at stake. If we lost our air conditioning, guess what? It will be okay. You tracking with me? It doesn't, that, it's, that doesn't matter, all right? We can worship under a tree. We can worship by a rock. We can worship in the heat of the sun. We can worship in the cool of the night. It doesn't matter because God isn't confined to a space. He's not confined to a building. He dwells in human hearts by people who have turned from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. We don't need a home to have of the promise because God has promised us a home that's coming. Not that we'll build for ourselves, but that he's building for us. And no one can take that away. So number one, Abraham believed without a home. Number two, Joseph obeyed without a family. Joseph obeyed without a family. So we see Abraham's faith without a land, and we also see in this Old Testament review, uh, Joseph's faith without a family. Joseph is important uh, because Joseph is one of the greatest pictures of Christ in the entire Old Testament. You'll remember that Joseph was Jacob's uh Uh, He he was one of Jacob's youngest sons, okay, and uh, if you remember that Jacob had four wives and 12 sons, all right, that's a recipe for a dysfunctional family, all right, which is exactly what it was, all right, and the, the Bible doesn't gloss that over, it was a mess, all right, all right. Joseph was the firstborn son of his favorite wife, Rachel, okay, the only wife that he actually loved. All right, and, and, and Rachel would later die giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. All right, and so J, uh, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and he gave him special treatment over and against his brothers. In fact, we all remember, or maybe if you grew up going to church and you went to Sunday school, you remember Joseph's special coat, all right, the coat of many colors. Uh, but the term actually could, uh, the term there could, could actually mean ornate. Um, And, of course, it is royalty that wears ornate clothing. And when you combine that coat with the fact that in his young age, Joseph had two dreams, both of which, in both the dreams, uh, entities representing his family came down and bowed down to him, all right, uh, in in submission, tells you uh, from a biblical and prophetic uh, image, is a prophetic image there from the Bible, that God had chosen this man Joseph to be a king, all right? And so uh, that, that's, that's an important part of Joseph's story. And so he gets special treatment from their father, coupled with these dreams of his future greatness, and that uh, infuriates, unsurprisingly, his brothers, to the point that they betrayed their own blood by selling him into slavery. He, he, he eventually ends up into Potiphar's as a slave in Potiphar's household. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. But what's important about Joseph's story is a very subtle but profound statement uh, in the book of Genesis that simply says this. But God was with him, which meant that jo- in all of Joseph's afflictions, God was with him. Okay. In fact, God was with him to the point that Joseph found favor in Potiphar's house. Uh, to the point that he became the, um, the 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 chief steward over all of Potiphar's household and of Potiphar's affair affairs up until the point. Uh, that Potiphar's adulterous wife set her sights on him, and yet in, in the face of that, he held to his integrity at great personal cost uh, in the face of a, of a false accusation that got him imprisoned for years. And you would think at that point, uh, by being sold into slavery by your brothers, by being falsely accused, which leads to a multiple years long imprisonment, you would think at that point you would just give up on God. But he didn't. Because he understood that it was all part of God's plan. And so by God's help, he's given the ability to interpret dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials. And then later, Pharaoh would have a dream of his own. Joseph's skill is remembered and Pharaoh lifts him up out of the pit of prison and raises him to the right hand of power where he is literally the most powerful person in all of Egypt. And from his position as ruler of Egypt, uh, Joseph now has the ability and authority to save his family from death from starving to death, from famine uh, that was going to come. And then Stephen goes out of his way to mention that his brothers actually take two trips to Egypt. First, the first trip, they don't recognize uh, Joseph. But the second trip, Joseph makes himself known, and they are delivered. And what's important about that is that despite all that, uh, and despite the fears of his brothers, Joseph actually refuses to hold a grudge against them, but actually tells them, don't be afraid, because this was all part of God's plan to save life. Okay, And so the Joseph story is is massively important because it is an unparalleled picture of Christ in the Old Testament, which is, I believe, what Stephen wants them to see. Uh, Joseph, like Jesus, was destined to be king. When Jesus was born, the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, he said, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house, of the, Jacob, of the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Joseph, like Jesus, was destined to be king. But just like Joseph's brothers rejected him, all right, so Jesus' own people rejected him. And indeed, as Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery for a handful of silver, one of Jesus' closest friends, Judas, betrayed him for a pouch full of silver. Now, and now then later in Joseph's life, In the hour of temptation, he held fast to his integrity at great personal cost. Now, Jesus uh, had two great hours of temptation. Uh, The first was by the devil in the wilderness, and the second was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he was contemplating uh, bearing the wrath of God due to the sin of the whole world. And in both of those hours of trial, uh, Jesus did not give in, but he held fast to his integrity and the purpose for which God sent him into the world. Okay? Okay? And then uh, and just as Joseph was kind of thrown into the pit of prison because of his righteousness, so Jesus was thrown into the pit of death because of his righteousness. But just as Pharaoh lifted up Joseph to the right hand of power in order to save his family, so God raised Jesus Christ from the dead so that he would be in the position of having all authority in heaven and on earth so that he could then forgive the sins of everyone who will repent of their sins and trust in him so that he could save all the people in all the world who are part of the family of God. Joseph is Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. And interestingly, uh, Stephen wants to emphasize that it's really only on the second visit that they recognized Joseph and that Joseph made himself known to the people. And I think that this is a subtle way that Stephen is is, uh, pointing to the response of the Jews in Jesus' day. Jesus, in effect, had revealed himself to the people once through his earthly ministry, and now that he had died and, and has risen again and has ascended into heaven, Jesus is now, in a sense, visiting his people again, Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of the Gospels through his apostles. And then the question now for the Jews that Stephen is speaking to is okay, this is the second, this is your second opportunity to recognize Jesus. Will you listen? Will you listen? Will they recognize their brother Jesus, whom God made king? Or will they demonstrate that they are once again set on opposing God's chosen leader? Because that, that, that was the point, right? Despite Joseph, despite his brother's rejection, the dreams and things made clear that he was destined to be king. All of Jesus' ministry pointed to the fact that he was destined to be king. Will we recognize Jesus for who he is or not? That's the question. That was the question for them 2,000 years ago, and, that was, and that's the question for us today. Will we recognize Jesus for who he is? Stephen's narration of the Old Testament history isn't just a history lesson. It's a counter accusation. It's a question of whether they will embrace Jesus for who he is. And it's a question for us as well. Jesus has come. You can read about it right here. The eyewitness testimony right here in the scripture about who Jesus was and what he did. He came and he lived a life without sin. He performed almost innumerable miracles. During a, a period of three years, where he healed the sick, where he where where deaf people were able to hear for the first time, where blind people were able to see for the first time, where dead people even rose up from their grave when he called them to come out, and he taught the truth, he taught the gospel, he 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 taught the he taught the scripture, he proclaimed who he was in life and word and deed, and yet they rejected him. Yet it was part of the plan of God so that he could die for the sins of the world, so that he could. Offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who believe in Him. All these things have happened. It's not a it's not a fairy tale. It's not make believe. All these things were recorded for us and for our sake, so that so that now this day, two thousand years later, we can hear the message. and And God, by His Spirit, is, is is pressing a decision upon us all. Will we see Jesus for who He is, or will we make the eternally tragic mistake, like the Jews did, of rejecting their one and only Savior? what are we going to do? Maybe you're in here this morning and maybe up until this point in your life, you haven't really been sure what to do with this Jesus fella. And I'm telling you today by the power of God and on the authority of scripture that Jesus is not just another dude. He's the son of God. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. He, he sacrificed himself to make, a way, to make a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and have resurrection and eternal life. It's true. And it changes everything. And the greatest possible decision you could ever make today is to turn from your sins and trust in him. He will fill you with, your spirit, with his Holy Spirit. He will change you from the inside out. Look, he's not, he's not asking you to clean yourself up and then come to him. He's saying, no, you decide right now to turn from your sins and come to him, and he'll clean you up. Don't worry about the rest. Jesus will take care of the rest. But you got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. The offer stands as it did 2,000 years ago. And for us who already believe, the question for us is, will we keep our eyes on the heart of the faith? Will we keep our eyes, unlike the Jews did, on the heart of the faith? Let us not be, let us not be confused. Let us not mistake a place. Let us not mistake um, certain trappings, okay, uh, certain religious trappings or a kind of music or a kind of windows, as beautiful as they are, all right, with, with what it means to truly know and love and trust God. These things are nice, but they're not what make Christianity. And if God took all of these things away, would, we, would he, would Jesus alone be enough for our eternal worship and praise and adoration? Will we live today not for an earthly home, but for an eternal one? Let's pray. King Jesus, what a privilege, God, to look to you this morning. The risen and reigning king. The very one who died for us. And who rose again to give us the hope of eternal life. And Lord, uh, let us not, uh, let us take heed, God, lest we fall. Let us take heed, Lord, where we ourselves, Lord, might end up like these religious leaders. Lord, where in the, very, in the very act of thinking that we understand, God, that we might actually miss the whole point. That it's not about religious trappings, it's not about a place, it's about you, Lord Jesus. It's about your life, your death, your resurrection. It's about your Holy Spirit who comes to live in us through faith. It's about a transformed life, God, that, that is the evidence that we have become new creatures in Christ, Lord. So help us, God, help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. Help us to go outside these walls and love our families, love our neighbors, love our coworkers, care for their souls. God, long for them to find mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. Tell them, open up our mouths, God, to tell of the hope and the life and the joy that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That's what it's about, Lord. And so we ask for grace by your spirit this morning. And finally, Lord, I pray that if there's one in here in the sound of my voice, Lord, who has yet to fully surrender to you. God, I pray that your spirit might reach down even now And open their eyes to see that you're better than anything this world has to offer. And may they look to you and turn to you in faith now, we pray. And it's in Christ's name we pray.